Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Good morning again. Our primary text for the message today is gonna to come from 1 Thessalonians chapter four. But before we get there, I wanna step into the story of that resurrection day. Matthew's already read for us, Luke 23, and uh, up through verse 16, or up through verse 12. But immediately following Peter's amazement, when Peter turned and went back toward the upper room, Scripture said that he was amazed. You get this sense that, that he didn't fully comprehend what all was going on. He was a little bit confused. The very next story in the Gospel of Luke is the story of two men who were considered disciples. They weren't one of the 12. So we're in Luke chapter 24, verses 17 and following. And they were walking back to their hometown. They were headed back toward a town of Emmaus. And on that walk, they were joined by Jesus himself. Though they didn't know Jesus, they didn't recognize him. In fact, the scripture says that they were prevented from recognizing him at that point. And as they walked, I want to pick up in the story by reading in verse 17. Scripture says, and then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cloopus answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech, before God and all people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things had happened. Though these two disciples weren't of the 12, they were certainly close to Jesus and they knew what was to be expected. They knew the promise of Christ. They even knew that, that somewhere back there he had said that even if you destroy this temple on the third day, it will rise again. And they had a little bit of hope right up until the third day came and they hadn't seen him. Oh, they heard some rumors, but it seems as they didn't believe them because as they were walking along, Scripture makes it clear, they were discouraged, they were arguing, they were frustrated. And in fact, we find as they were talking to Jesus, they were without hope. They were despairing because they didn't recognize that their hope was alive. 
that Jesus had already been raised, that Jesus not only had been resurrected, but Jesus bodily was right there with them on the road to Emmaus. They didn't see it. I believe that that is the story of far too many of us who despair, who grieve as though we have no hope, who believe that death is somehow final. We miss the fact that hope is alive because Jesus has risen and he is right here with us. Read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Paul writes this passage. He writes 1 Thessalonians as a response apparently to some questions that the Thessalonians had for him. Paul only got to spend a few weeks teaching and preaching as he launched the church at Thessalonica and then he was driven out of town uh, by persecution, in, in particular persecution of the Jews and so as he was driven out of Thessalonica he went to Berea and, and he hadn't gotten very far when he received a letter apparently carried by Timothy, who, who, or Titus, one, who, who brought some questions to Paul. And Paul answers those when he writes this letter to the, Thessal- to the Thessalonians. And one of the questions they must have had was, what about our friends and family who already died? You told us, Paul, about the resurrection. You told us that Jesus was gonna come back one of these days, but Jesus hasn't come. And, and my, my family member is dead and they're in the grave. And so Paul, a lot of what you see in 1 Thessalonians seem to be a response to their questions. And this is certainly, I believe, in that category. So begin reading with me in verse 13. Paul writes, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What is the root of the encouragement that the Apostle Paul is giving to them? It is centered on, focused on, what took place that weekend between Friday morning and Sunday morning, between the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb. Look with me at this passage. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. I want you to to notice here that Paul does not belittle the Thessalonians' grief. He doesn't belittle their faith. In fact, he recognizes that they will grieve. Their their loved ones, their brother, their sister, their, their mom, their dad, their child, their friend has taken their last breath on this earth. And they're uncertain of that person's future. And so Paul recognizes our grief. See, just like the disciples from Friday, from Thursday night, really, in the middle of the night, early Friday morning until Sunday when they begin to really see the light, we will grieve. Peter, James, and John had lost everything. They, who knows the depth of, of their grief? First, they, they were grieving the loss of a loved one. 
They had loved Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. Peter even declared his, his allegiance to Jesus and said that I, I will stand by you. And yet, they watched Jesus die. They, they saw him beaten with the, fl- the, the flesh stripped from his body. They, they witnessed Jesus as he was hung on the cross outside of the gates of the city. They knew that his lifeless body had been removed from the cross and placed in a tomb. The disciples faced head on the death of their Lord, of their Jesus, of their friend. And certainly, they were grieving his death. You know, death is not the only thing that we grieve. We grieve for many reasons. I believe that the disciples also were grieving the loss of their identity. What what were they gonna do now? They they were the followers of Christ. They were his central band. John and Peter had just had an argument about who was gonna get to sit at the right hand of the throne. They were excited about the coming kingdom. They knew who they were. They were were the the first lieutenants of of the king of kings, the lord of lords. They were gonna get, get to be there seated on the throne next to him and that was all gone. When Jesus died, it was over. You saw in, in, in the, on the road to Damascus, Cleopas, his hope was that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. That was still the prevalent view of what the Messiah was going to accomplish, that he was going to restore their nation to, to a place of prominence. He was going to get them out from under that, that Roman rule. It was a materialistic view, and yet that was their hope. And all that hope was gone. Certainly it was an unfounded hope. Jesus came to establish an eternal kingdom, not a material kingdom. Far too often, we as Christians place our hope in that same unfounded truth, that same unfounded idea that somehow Jesus came to make us rich and healthy. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that he shed his blood so that we could have forgiveness of sins and have eternal life. But they had lost it all. They'd lost their identity. They'd lost their hopes for a kingdom. They'd lost their jobs. Peter, James, and John knew what their jobs were. They had been fishermen. They left their boats. They left their fishery. And they went on a journey with Jesus. And they were going to be a part of this new kingdom. And now their jobs were gone. They lost their identity. They lost their hope of this new kingdom. They, they, they lost their jobs. You know, right now, we live in an in a environment, in a, in a country, in a culture that has been devastated not only have we been devastated by the pandemic, I believe that we've been devastated even more so by the fear that has been driven by the pandemic. That's caused us to shut down our economy. It's caused us to close the doors to our businesses. It's caused us to shut down manufacturing. And because of all of that, many of you have lost your jobs. Many of you have, have lost your identity Many of you are are afraid of losing your homes. And it seems like hope is disappearing. We grieve for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we grieve out of fear. We grieve over material things. Sometimes we just simply grieve over the deep sense of loss that's come through divorce, separation. 
Right now, there's a lot of grieving going on from grandmas that can't see their grandkids. But Paul reminds the Thessalonians that though we grieve, we grieve with hope. And that's the message of today. I'm sure these disciples also faced questions about their own mortality. They had just seen a man who gave sight to a blind man. He had raised Lazarus from the grave after Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. They had seen Jesus who had, who had caused a crippled man to, to stand up, pick up his, his uh, bed, and carry it out the door celebrating. They had witnessed time and again Jesus perform miracle after miracle. And now he's dead. Not only was he dead, he was brutally tortured and beaten and broken by the same Roman government who these disciples already were afraid of. And so certainly they were afraid for their own lives. That's one of the reasons that the disciples fled. When they were in the garden, the scripture says that all of the disciples fled. They all scattered and ran and hid. We know that John showed back up at the foot of the cross at some point. We know that Jesus was, I mean, that Peter was kind of hanging around outside of the trial where he denied Christ. But ultimately, they all fled and hid. They were hiding in the upper room all day Saturday and Sunday morning when Jesus appeared to them. They were hiding because they were afraid for their lives. They were facing their own mortality. Oftentimes when we see the loss of a loved one or we experience a, a horrible news from the doctor, that, that fear, that grief for our own mortality grips us. And yet, the reminder that the Apostle Paul gives the Thessalonians is we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We will all share Every one of us will share in the grief of Good Friday. Every one of us shares in, in the pain of the cross in one way or another. Every one of us does because we all face loss. We all face suffering. We all face not only our own mortality, but we face the loss of loved ones. Yes, we will all grieve. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we can all grieve with hope. It started on the cross, certainly. But that's not where the focus of this passage ends. He says, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope, for we believe that Jesus died. Yes, because Jesus died, we have some hope. See, hope didn't just begin at the resurrection. Our hope began at the cross because before we could receive eternal life, something else had to happen. Our sin had to be dealt with. In fact, that's really what Good Friday was all about. That's what makes it good. Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. Hope began on the cross when Jesus, in fact, you could back it up just a little bit. You, you could argue that, that hope began in the heavens when God made the decision to reach out to us by sending his son to die for us. You could make the argument that hope began in the manger when Jesus stepped into the, onto this earth, into the, into the womb or into that manger, into the womb of Mary and then into the manger there at, at Bethlehem. 
You can make the argument that hope began when Jesus began his ministry. You can make the argument that hope began when Jesus confessed in the garden, Heavenly Father, if there's any other way, remove this from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But however you look at it, wherever you look, whatever time frame you choose, hope began in Jesus. And what he chose to do for you and I on the cross that Friday. Our hope began because it was on the cross that we find justification for our sins. It's on the cross that Jesus shed his blood so that we could receive forgiveness of our sins. See, Jesus didn't die because he had to. And Jesus didn't die because he wanted to. Jesus died because he loved you and I. And he wanted to offer us an incredible gift of eternal life that we could only grasp a hold of if our sins were first cleansed. And so on the cross, Jesus shed his blood. And when he cries out on the cross, it is finished to the heavenly father. I believe that, that the, the alternate translation of that was on his mind, paid in full. Jesus had paid the price for your sin and my sin. He had paid the price for the sins of the world to offer us forgiveness, to offer us cleansing, that our sins could be washed away. Jesus redeemed us on the cross. Hope began on the cross. If you have never put your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross to give you forgiveness of sins, I plead with you, begin there. You'll never be able to get to the glory and the joy of the resurrection if first you don't begin on the cross. If you don't come to Christ at the cross, laying yourself down and saying, Lord, you're right, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need you to wash away my sins. I need your blood. I need that gift. If you never receive that gift of eternal life from Christ, you'll never experience the glory and the joy of Easter and the resurrection. We believe that Jesus died and offered us forgiveness for our sins. Jesus also died to offer us victory over sin. You heard that in the passage read from Romans chapter six. Not only has Jesus given us forgiveness, justified us from our sins, but Jesus has given us victory over our sins. I don't have to live the way I used to. I don't have to be beholden to the things of this world. I don't have to give in to my fleshly desires because I have a God who sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within me. When I confessed him as my savior, he changed me. Jesus told Nicodemus that he was born again. We could be born again, be given a new life, a new spirit, a new heart in Christ. And so at the cross, he not only justified us, cleansed us, but he also released us from the power of our sin. And ultimately, what took place that day on the cross before we ever get to Easter Sunday morning when Jesus died. Scripture tells us in Matthew that the veil of the temple that represented the division of our sin, that separated man, whom God loved so much, from his holy presence, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom. And when that veil was torn in two, it represented the, the, the dividing line was destroyed. The separation of our sin, what kept us from a, coming into the presence of a holy God, was destroyed 
by the blood of Christ when he shed it on the cross. And so we are restored to a relationship with a living God. The apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter five that we are ambassadors of reconciliation because he has reconciled us first. Jesus brought reconciliation between us and his heavenly father. We just finished a study of the book of Hebrews and the majority of that book is about how Jesus not only was our sacrificial lamb who gave up his life, but Jesus was our high priest who has given us the privilege that we can come into the presence of the Holy of Holies because our relationship with the heavenly father has been restored with what Jesus did on the cross. Our sin's forgiven, our sin is now powerless and we've been restored to a relationship with a holy God. All of that is what took place through the death of Christ on the cross on Friday. Praise God for the cross because without the cross we'd never have Easter Sunday. But Jesus didn't stop there because ultimately Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he is the giver of life. John chapter one tells us that he in him was life and that life was the light of men. And because life was in Jesus, because he himself is life, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus is life, death could not keep him down. And see, if he had not been resurrected, it would have proved that the world was right, that he wasn't really the Christ, he wasn't really God, that he wasn't really the Lord, that he wasn't really didn't really have life in his very nature. But when Jesus stepped out of the grave that Sunday morning and he rose again, our hope was certain and assured because the deed was done. Jesus came up out of that grave victorious over death, victorious over Satan and anything that he could throw at him, and victorious over the grave. So the grave and death and the enemy have no power left over the believer who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord. With all that was settled for us on the cross, just as much or even more was established at the resurrection. When Jesus came up out of the grave, our hope was assured. It became certain. So you see the apostle Paul expressed that. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say this to you by the word from the Lord. We who are still alive and remain at the Lord's coming coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. Paul ties our hope, our future, our eternity. He ties it absolutely, inextricably, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope was assured on that Sunday morning. Certainly, from Friday to Sunday, it looked like hope had been lost. Certainly for those two men on the road to Emmaus who knew the story, who expected in some way Jesus to to either not die, or excuse me, or to be raised again, to those men They were hopeless, they were despairing. I was reflecting this week on a story from my past, actually from, from, from my history. Many of you know that on the December the 7th of 1941, my mother was living with her mother, so Grandma Callahan, and her sister across the street, actually a catty-cornered across the gate from Hickam Field, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. 
And they awoke that morning to the sound of the airplanes flying low over their duplex. And grandma went outside and looked up and said that she could see the face of a Japanese pilot who was preparing to release his bombs on Hickam Field. Grandma and mom and and Aunt Doris faced uncertain days during that time because Grandpa Callahan was on the USS Louisville. Though they didn't know exactly where he was, the USS Louisville at that time was right in the middle of Japanese territory. (laughs) The USS Louisville was in the midst of the Mandate Islands. The USS Louisville was a cruiser that was escorting two ships from East Borneo through uh, south of the Philippines, through the, the Japanese Mandate Islands on their way back to Pearl Harbor and they were right in the midst of the Japanese controlled island territory when the Japanese bombed the Philippines and Pearl Harbor. Weeks went by with no news from the USS Louisville. Many ships during that time that were in the South Pacific, as the Japanese launched their attacks on the United States, many of our ships were sunk by Japanese torpedo submarines, especially those who were in Japanese-controlled territory. And so finally, a verdict came. The command staff, after not hearing for weeks from the USS Louisville, began to contact the families and say that the Louisville must have been lost. It must have been sunken. Certainly, after not hearing for weeks, it had been destroyed. The day after that news began to go out, the USS Louisville cruised into Pearl Harbor. Imagine the joy and the celebration on those families' lives when they realized that hope was alive. Their grief was not fatal. Their fear was unfounded. What they thought was death was not final. Because their hope was alive. Praise God for the commander of the USS Louisville who though he received orders and was commanded to identify himself and and let the, 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 the command of the fleet know where they were. He thought, you people are crazy. We're in the middle of Japanese territory. They went radio silent until they cruised into Pearl Harbor to make sure that his ship and, and his sailors were safe. I want to tell you that even though it looked like all hope was gone, when the Son of God, the one who seemed to have all of the power, the one who seemed to have the the, the power and the authority to raise people from the dead, once he died, it seemed like hope was lost. But when he came back up out of that grave, a great celebration began because hope was restored. Peter became aware that his hope was alive and it transformed him from a a man who was fearful and afraid to a man who became a leader of the church. Those two guys on the road to Emmaus, when they found out it was really Jesus, oh my gosh, how their hearts must have been lifted. They got excited, they were filled with joy, and then he disappeared. (laughs) 
but they knew from that point forward that their hope was alive. Folks, we celebrate the resurrection today because even though oftentimes on this earth we're filled with grief, we can seem to be overcome with despair, death seems to take its toll on us, the economy seems to be depressed, our future seems to be wiped out, our hope is alive. God who is on the throne, who breathed this world into existence is still on the throne. The God who raised Jesus from the dead is still the Lord and he is still seated on his throne. And Jesus as our advocate sits at the right hand of his father today. Our hope is alive. And as you read through the rest of this text, Paul wants to let the people in Thessalonica know, look, this is not the end, folks. In fact, you'll notice, if you haven't already, in the first couple of verses, he didn't, re he didn't refer to their loved ones as dead. <laughs> he said that they were asleep because Paul recognized that this was not the final resting place for their loved ones. And so not only do we find the hope alive in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we find this good news through the rest of this text. There's coming a day, verse 16 says, when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive still, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The message of hope that the apostle Paul gives to the Thessalonians here in, verse, in chapter four, verses 13 through 18, is a message that every one of us needs to hear. But it's also a message that every one of our friends and neighbors needs to hear. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have the message of hope. And it's a message of hope that, that, that has no end. It's a message of hope, it's good news. The fact that he died and rose again means that we don't have to fear the coronavirus or COVID-19. We don't have to be afraid of what our government does. I, certainly, I believe right now our government, in some ways our leaders are making some good decisions. I think they're making some really poor decisions. But ultimately, I don't have to be afraid of that because I serve a king who rules over a, a, a kingdom that is far greater than the United States of America. And, 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 and I, in fact, I serve a king who is king over the world and even if in some crazy way, what so many people fear, that some, some kind of one world government's gonna destroy us all, I serve a king who truly is the king of the one world government. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And my hope is alive today because Jesus rose up out of that grave. And I look forward to the future because one of these days, he's coming back. We don't have to be afraid of our government. Why? Because Jesus died for me, Jesus rose again, and Jesus is coming back. I don't have to be afraid of what happens to the economy. Why? Because Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming back. I don't have to fear for my future because it has been settled in what Christ did on the cross, coming up out of the grave and looking forward to his return. I don't have to fear judgment, and certainly I'm a sinner. Certainly I have sinned against God, but I don't have to be afraid because he forgave me on the cross. 
Jesus shed his blood so that I could be forgiven. So I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear judgment from Christ because he's the one who died for me. And I don't have to fear judgment for anyone else because he is the Lord. The whole world can judge me, but Christ is king. I don't have to fear death because Jesus died and he rose again. And just as sure as Jesus died and rose again, when I put my faith in him, Scripture teaches me that my life from now on is completely tied to his. That when I die, I'll rise again. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture that Jesus told Mary and Martha, and I, I mentioned this earlier. In Luke chapter, I mean in John chapter 11, Lazarus had been dead. He'd been in the grave four days. And Jesus tells him, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And and Mary says, well, we know that, that the resurrection's coming one of these days, but Jesus said, listen, I am the resurrection. He who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, over 15 years ago, many of y'all know that we stood next to the bedside of our daughter when she took her last breaths. Katie had gone downstairs for a, a short procedure and as they were doing this procedure to try to open up her, the access port so they could continue to do dialysis on her, it released a blood clot that went to her lungs and she quit breathing. And even though she had DNR orders, they, the techs in that procedure room had not received them. And so they, they, they bagged her, they intubated her and started breathing with a bag. And You know, in God's perfect will and his perfect design, it, it, it was all good for us. Because ultimately then, we were allowed to come in there and be with her during those last moments. And I remember as we stood next to her, a chaplain stood behind us, a young chaplain, and, and I asked him, I said, do you mind reading from John chapter 11 for me? And he asked me which verses, and I told him. And he read those words, that those who live and believe in him would never die. After he read those words, we asked the, the doctors to remove the breathing apparatus, and they did. They asked us, they said, are you sure she can't breathe on her own? And we said, we know. When they took the tube out, Katie continued to take a couple breaths. Until I remember Susan looked down at Katie and said, to Katie, it's okay. You can go home now. Because see, we knew that Katie wasn't dying. Katie was stepping out of this body and stepping into eternity. We weren't afraid of death. Yes, we grieved. And, and you see the tears in my eyes. I still grieve because I miss her. I still grieve the loss. I still grieve over that pain. But I don't grieve as one who has no hope. My hope made certain that day, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came up out of the grave, victorious over death. And one of these days, his words Tell me that I can be encouraged. I can be encouraged with these words because I'll see her again. Thanks be to God who sent his son to die on a cross, who rose again and who is coming back because hope is alive in Jesus. He is my hope. If you've never come to that place where you have put your full hope for your eternal life in Christ, let me encourage you 
Don't let this Easter pass before you get alone with God right there in your home. You can go to your bedroom or wherever you happen to go. Get alone with God and come to him and say, you know, your word's right. I have sinned and without you, I have no hope. But thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. I want to follow you, Lord. Give me your hope. Wash my sins away. You'll still grieve. You'll still face tough times in this world. But you'll never again grieve without hope. That hope comes from one place. And it comes from the person of Jesus Christ. Who died, who rose again, and who's coming back. If you don't know how to do it or you're unsure, reach out. Find somebody around you who you know loves Jesus and ask them how you can become a, a disciple of Christ, a follower of Jesus. Ask them how you can have forgiveness of your sins. And if you don't know anyone, reach out to us. Get on our website, reach out to us. I know my associate pastor Kevin right now is, is, is watching this. Reach out to him. He'd love to tell you about how you can have that kind of hope that never dies. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive.